she, her, hers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health Musings. Um, it's been a while. I hope you all had a good break and um, your spring semester is going well. I'm super excited for this episode. I have some really amazing guests who I'm going to have them introduce themselves in just a second. Um, we're going to talk about probably what you all are feeling um, this semester with failure and right, it's the halfway spring break is literally around the corner. So I'm really pumped to hear what our guests have to say as they bring in their own um, unique perspective. So I will start with our student, Peter, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, and then we'll go with Vivian and then end with Dr. Joe Brown, if that's cool. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. My name is Peter Frito. I'm a second year at CSU. I'm human development and family studies major with a concentration in intervention and prevention sciences. I am the student program assistant with at the health center, I guess, health education prevention services, and I'm happy to be on here. Hey, everyone. My name is Vivian Ephraimson Apt, and I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the manager of well-being initiatives at the CSU Health Network. And I'm super excited to talk to you all about how to recover from failure today. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Joseph Brown. I'm the director of the Academic Integrity Program at the Institute for Learning and Teaching. And my pronouns are he, him, his. So like I said, an awesome lineup. I feel very honored to be here. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. And one of the terms I know I hear a lot around this time, I know our students have heard it probably in high school and now is growth mindset. And I'm wondering if you all wouldn't mind sharing what is it? Maybe when you were first introduced to this concept and then for Vivian and, and Dr. Brown, maybe how does your specific role at CSU utilize growth mindset? So Peter, would you mind going first? Yeah. Um, back in high school, I went to Silver Creek High School in Longmont, and I was in the Leadership Academy. And in 11th grade, we were introduced the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck, which I think is kind of where the term mindset was first coined. And then after that, I just kind of got really into it. I kind of started noticing how people around me, like teachers or my peers, just kind of didn't have a growth mindset. Like teachers would kind of praise incorrectly that I noticed because she talks about how to praise the effort rather than the result. And I noticed that. And then I just started kind of getting more involved with mindset with my podcast later on also. Awesome. Thank you, Peter. I really like how you describe that. And that's really great that you got exposed to that in high school. So another way to think about growth mindset is that it's really our ability to do poorly at something at first and then learn from that experience. And actually even feel like, wow, you know, it's incredible to learn something and to develop skills. So for those of us that have a pretty strong growth mindset, we can sometimes really even get energized by that challenge. Growth mindset is both a trait and a state. So some of us are a little, like, we're kind of more able to persevere and take on challenges. We find that exciting. And But even for those of us that, you know, might be a little bit more hesitant with that, we can actually develop some strengths in that area and see that when we're not doing well at something that we can stick with it and we can actually get good at it. You know, it's funny, if you had asked me seven years ago, I think I would have had a more confident answer. The interesting thing about this particular issue is that the, the research has really complicated what growth mindset is, what the growth mindset impact can be in a classroom, how to build interventions and uh, classroom support for students to encourage growth, growth mindset. I just want to take a step back and say the first time I heard about it, I was teaching um, at a different institution and I was teaching in the honors program there. 
And I was really attracted to this idea because teaching honors students presents its own challenges. And one of those challenges, they, they come in prepackaged with this sense of like who they are as a student. And it's, it's almost like calcified. And yet we were asking them to do some very challenging things in class, you know, reflection, critical thinking that they, in ways that they had never really been asked to do. And I found a lot of resistance to that. And I, and I was really curious about that. And I thought that Dweck's work really um, helped help me understand that I might be running into kind of how students saw themselves. And that was kind of what I was trying to, the, the hill I was trying to climb over with them. Say a little bit more. So the way students see themselves, is that like a reflection of their growth mindset or lack thereof? I think that, so you have to think about where Dweck's research was kind of coming into play. Like what, what was the environment before this? And so one of the things that she is particularly curious about in that work is why is it that when really strong students run into a task where they fail, they seem to have difficulty finding the motivation to push through to that kind of cognitive leap that must occur to then learn that new thing that's really challenging? This doesn't have to be in a classroom. This could be I'm learning guitar or um, I'm learning uh, taekwondo or some, some skill. There is a moment where you will hit a wall. And she was really curious about why it didn't really make sense to her that students who on paper were had been significantly successful suddenly seemed to be struggling with that. And one of the things that she found was that they were coming in with these ideas of, I am really good at these things. I am really bad at these things. So naturally, as a human being, we're going to try to avoid those things that make us feel that negative feeling, right? But that's also really bad for us. And so this the work comes out of this idea of, well, we can, we can maybe build supports, start talking to students in a different way, start talking to each other in a different way, that we can um, encourage a different conception of, of self so that then they're able to grow in those moments where they they run into that obstacle. Okay, that makes so much sense. And I felt like you were coming for me because that happened. I took guitar lessons, it got really hard and I quit. So I was like, is he, is he reading my mind, my diary? Uh, but yes, I many a times I can think about when things got hard, I decided that wasn't for me. Um, I'm not good at that. And so I stopped. And that has been definitely my my mantra of like, I'm like, for instance, I did basketball camp and I didn't like it and was like, I'm just not good at this. I was the, the like the poorest player. Um, so I can see how that definitely like as you are, you become, you know, what you're thinking. So I really appreciate you sharing that kind of going off of that. And this could be something if you don't know, but I'm thinking about other students on our campus or just even staff faculty who have a cultural background, right? Like raised in a family. Like I'm thinking about my own background as a Chinese American woman, right? Um, so maybe your background is not Western centric. And how does growth mindset fit in that? Or maybe does it clash? Because I'm thinking about my household and what was the conversation there. We First of all, we did not know growth mindset. We didn't know those words. And there was a sense of keep trying, like keep practicing until you get it. But it felt torturous. Like it did not feel pleasure, like full of pleasure. Like you were talking about you make it sound so like, oh, I want to struggle. Like, no, when I was growing up, I did not want to practice to get better. I was like, can we just admit that I'm not good? And so but I guess that is a type of growth mindset. So I don't know if you, you know, you two could speak to that or maybe Peter in your household, how was that seen? So I'll just leave it like that. But that was just something that came up to me right now. I recently um, was speaking with a friend about this and she used to tell her kids, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first 
to encourage them. And I definitely grew up as a first-gen American in a family where I was told I would probably not be good at something at first. And often there was uh, definitely a cultural gap with my language as well because I grew up bilingual. And so my parents were like, you're just going to have to work harder. And um, so, you know, sometimes I think we grow up in families that instill a growth mindset in us where it's it's okay to work hard and we're expected to work hard and we're not going to be good at something at first. It's just not automatic. You know, it's interesting to hear you speak about that it was drudgery. Um, Angela Lee Duckworth, who's another researcher on an aspect called grit, you know, it's interesting to hear her talk about how she raises her kids. So she has a couple of agreements and one of them is it's okay for us to do hard things. That's one of the agreements. And then the other thing is we don't quit on a hard day. And so her kids take on difficult things like violin, sports that they're not good at at first. And then, you know, for a while they'll try it. And if they want to quit, they quit at a certain point. They also know it's okay to do a hard thing. And it's also that they're not going to quit on a hard day. I feel like a kind of part with that comes from how parents react to the said quote unquote failure, I think, because I've played violin and piano and it started out before kind of using part of piano as like a punishment if I uh, was like practicing poorly or something my mom kind of had me play differently or just try to do other things to practice kind of in the quote-unquote correct way and I guess going back to kind of what Dr. Carol Dweck says she talks about um, like a growth praise versus a fixed praise um, being able to kind of praise the effort more than the result so it's kind, of, it's kind of going back to what everyone's saying with being able to praise, oh, you're doing a good job practicing. I mean, maybe it's not the result that you wanted before, but it's the effort that's being put in that makes a difference. Yeah, I love your question. So one of the things that the research has really focused on recently, and this is Dweck, this is Dweck and Jaeger um, and her collaborators really has established, first of all, um, it really what you, what you were talking about really res- resonated because some of the most interesting research is coming out of China actually, right? It, they're, they're looking at how can we in, involve some of these I- I- interventions in our educational system at, at large scale. And some of that work is really fascinating. Um, Dweck and Jaeger looked at that in kind of a macro study and they were like, okay, so now it's been some time since that initial work came out. What do we know now? And one of the things I was just reading um, before we started was that this question of do the mindset interventions that people are planning in these studies work? And it seems that it's unclear and it's unclear specifically because some of them will say yes, but that the results can be stronger or weaker depending on who, different people and different contexts. So I want to just kind of draw under that this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And in fact, one of the biggest takeaways, I think, from the, the most recent research is this may not actually be a thing you can just decide to do, that it may need to be incredibly intentional at a structural level um, and may involve significant classroom and institutional support. So don't feel bad if you suddenly you're like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't describe me, right? I mean, that's, you know, I don't like failing at things either. And I don't think anyone does. So, you know, just want to say no judgment, right? This is, you know, we're humans and this, there's a logic to all of this. My mother was a teacher for 32 years. Um, She was an ESL teacher actually um, for most of that um, in the Atlanta area. And, um, you know, thinking about the times that this impacted like our conversations, you know, there's just a, there was always this kind of underlining the value of the thing that you had been doing, even if it didn't exactly translate in what you thought was success. So, I mean, like, is learning or trying to take on guitar 
um, a good thing for you, even if you're not going to become Santana? Absolutely. Like you're going to learn so much from that. And, and I think when I think about the cognitive science behind it, there are so many benefits from just trying it. And I think that's, that's kind of, I, I think where the, some of the research for, on growth mindset is right now. I have so many thoughts running through my head right now. And like, I think this, every time I do these episodes, I mean, it's for y'all, the listeners, but secretly, I think it's also like for me too, because I'm like, oh, these are all things that would be really helpful. I, I just, I'm just thinking like games, you know, when you talk about Peter praising the effort and I think how games, right. They're like, good job. You made it this far. And so you one get to save the game from that spot. And then you get like a bonus or something. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if that's quite the same, but I just think about like, you know, like, Oh yeah, you did it. And I love that. Like again, praising the effort. And that's probably why it was drudgery Vivian, because it wasn't about the effort. It was about the result and the result was never good for my enough for my parents and that's why it was just like hell like i don't want to practice cursive anymore um but i had to until they were like it's okay so that is so it's good and i think this hopefully the listeners will think about maybe in their own family what has that looked like if they, even though they didn't use the words growth mindset but just you know how has that been in their household and how you know can we pass that on to our you know, our, our own kids in the future or like our nieces and nephews, because just saying like, I even said it the other day in work and uh, I said like, I'm not really good at that. And I think Vivian, you corrected me. You're like, mm, does that growth mindset? I was like, okay. I was like, I don't like to do that. And then Vivian's like, there you go. Right. So just this changing of like, I'm not good at that to like, I don't like to do that. So Peter, because you're a student and I think students really will connect with you. I was wondering if you could share a time when you utilized growth mindset, right? We talked about this too. Like, you know, someone who's like, I don't know what that is. Like, what is it? Like, when did you, how did you like utilize this tool? Um, and so that'd probably be right. An example of time you failed, if you don't mind sharing. Growth mindset to me boiled down to the point where it was like, it's okay to fail. Just being able to understand how to do it differently or just understand that this isn't who you are. I think it's a lot of just schoolwork where even before we were talking about, Dr. Brown was mentioning how students are more likely to cheat on a test and fail. I think that that's kind of important to realize with growth mindset too, that being able to fail is okay. And understanding that maybe you need to change the way that you study or something that differently, maybe get more sleep. And I think that before being able to say that growth mindset isn't just a one-time thing, like you don't just practice it and then it's done. It's a lot. It's harder than you think. It's uh, people, I think, hear the term growth mindset and think that if they just change their mindset once it's fixed but you need a growth mindset for a growth mindset too where you need to be able to where you need to be able to practice it and be able to understand like hey maybe this quiz that i didn't do well on was like a little starting point where i can learn how to maybe study differently or be less distracted during class i guess the main times where i practice it is failing or like not doing well in a class or one of the things that i think that is mentioned too is injuries in October of 2021, I tore my wrist climbing and I it took me a long time to get back. And then just being able to realize that I wasn't at the peak that I was at before was a lot of growth mindset. I think that a lot of athletes, whether it's like D1 or just like casual athletes, might get injured and then hope that right when they're able to play again, they're back to their peak where they were before. And for me, it was really hard to try to get back in and be like, hey, that's something that I could have done before, but I can't now and I I didn't know how long it was going to take before I could get back so just being able to take everything like hey that was a step up from what I did last time and just seeing it as little stepping blocks 
So thanks, Peter. You know, that's a great example of not only, um, you know, how we recover, um, but also how we adjust our expectations as we recover. So I think part of what we're talking about today is failure recovery, whether that's from an injury or whether that's from not doing as expected on something, um, you know, not doing well in a class, um, maybe having a relationship that doesn't go well. Brene Brown, who's a researcher, and she works with shame and, you know, growth mindset and self-image has a strong relationship with each other. And so sometimes what will happen is we expect ourselves to be better than what's actually going on. And so we have some shame that arises or some embarrassment or other difficult feelings around that and some other cognitive distortions that might happen as well. And so actually working ourselves through a process of noticing what it takes to recover is also super important. So I really appreciate that example of what it was like to recover from an injury with, from climbing because you had to adjust your expectations. You had to allow your body to heal. You had to figure out how am I going to build up my strength again and also to adjust your own expectations. The other thing is, is that we often sometimes really over-identify with our failures. Our failures then become everything, and they're not. They really are not. They are very, very temporary. That's something called the negativity bias. It's really the way that our mind works. It's very adaptive. Our mind is more geared towards noticing the negative um, to keep us alive. Sometimes we really have to notice and put into perspective that that Diana test, that relationship that didn't go well, even that it feels overwhelming in the moment, is not our whole lives. And that we have to start to redirect our attention to actually what is going well, and also to those supports that help us recover from some of the disappointments in our life. It's such a great point. I mean, you know, I was thinking um, it's, it's so important to remember the inverse of the growth mindset, which is this idea of the way people talk to themselves. And I love that you, you've you brought in other experts who have talked about these different kind of facets of our self-talk that can be really unhealthy for us. So what I mean is the inverse of the growth mindset would be like the fixed mindset, right? So what, you know, when I saw it, for example, it was, you know, I'm not a math person, right? Um, you know, I'd have students say, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not really a literature person. And, um, that I think you take a moment and think about what what's behind that, right? This idea of like I have a set idea of what my strengths are and what my ways, and they're fixed. I can't do anything about. It. Well, of course you can, right? It's just going to take a level of um, you know maybe commitment and time and resources. It maybe means taking a class or it means taking having some extra support. But I also think that it 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 does kind of suggest a reevaluation of how we make that determination. So in other, what I mean is. I don't get a great grade on my math exam. In fact, I fail it. So I can either, I have a choice of either saying, I failed that math exam, right? And then spend some time thinking about all the decisions that led up to that particular assessment. Or I can say, well, that's just a reflection of this thing that I already know to be true and fixed. One of those things is gonna lead me to do better. And in fact, one of the things I do think that shows up in the research is when students adopt the former, when they say, that is a that is an event. It happened. I failed at that, but I can see in my you know, self reflection. Go back and see the things that led to that that failure. Then I can identify the things I can adjust, and then try again. 
it does remind me of video games. You brought that example up earlier. Um, I do want to do want to say that I think this is also maybe generational. I, I had the funny experience of watching my son try to play original Nintendo video games, and he got so so frustrated with uh, Punch Out, which is like you know a boxing game because it's essentially a zero sum game. You have three shots to make it to the next level, or you go all the way back down. And he was almost in tears. Now I can watch him play Minecraft for over an hour, mm-hmm. right? It's a completely different type mm-hmm. of play, right? And and I think that part of that is um, 80s video games is a reflection of how unhealthy we were and <laughs> our, <laughs> our expectations of achievement. <laughs> you know, like when I think about how different that that experience is, you know, when he's playing something like Minecraft, he doesn't, I want to be clear, he's not like a super video game kid, but he um, he's learning skills as he plays right? That then enable him to play the game better. I don't really know what skill Punch-Out was trying to teach us, except to like, um, that there was actually a pattern that we have to then punch and dodge and punch and dodge and whatever. And none of that was actually any learning, right? Um, and so I do think, but, but I do notice that his level of frustration is much higher in zero-sum games. And so whenever I talk to students about this issue, I have to take a step back and go, okay, wait a minute, I am approaching this from a very generationally determined viewpoint, right? So some things that might seem harder to me might be easier for them. And and the inverse is also true. I was going to say, I like the point about talking about being able to look back and see what you did before. Because I think that most of the times, if you fail a test, you're going to just see it as like the reflection where it's like, oh, I'm bad at math. So I'm just going to say that I'm bad at math and math (laughs) isn't me. And rather than take the time to be like, oh, maybe I drank too much the night before my exam or I didn't have a good enough study guide rather than be able to change it for the next time, which I think just kind of reinforces the the fixed mindset because obviously you don't want to spend time doing stuff that you're not as good at or take the time to take it. Cause I know that sometimes for me, at least taking classes since I had to take, I guess, since I'm not in honors, I had to take the AUCC classes and some of them I didn't really want to take cause I didn't, I guess I didn't really need biology for my major as much. So I felt like it was just kind of a little bit boring. So I didn't really want to obviously spend as much time with it. So being able to see the fixed minds or the growth mindset in stuff that you're not good at, I think being able to look back at that is the most important part. You know, I just want to say like asking you to, to, I think at a certain age, it's really hard to, to have that kind of reflection. It's something we, we build and grow as we, as we get older. And I, so I would say like, if you're a student listening to this, think of it just like having a roommate or a close friend as like an accountability partner, right? This is someone maybe you study with, maybe it's something you just, you know, you, you hang out with, but someone who knows you and your abilities well enough to, so that whenever something happens and you explain it, they can say, ah, that doesn't sound like that's not the Peter I know, right? That's the Peter I know, you know, when he did really well in that, you were, you were doing this, this, and this, and this, right? This time I noticed that you did this and this. And it, it, there's no judgment in that, I think. I mean, I think you know, people who in our lives, they care about us and they're like, I can just notice things when I'm your accountability partner. I agree with that. I think it's also sometimes harder to find like an accountability partner too. I think that at least with my friends or friend, friendships that I've observed, they're less like as accountable as that before. It's kind of more like, I trust that you're doing this. And then I, it, it seems like it's more like the the domes where like perpetuates just what you're saying mm-hmm. like around yourself like if if you usually if you have an idea then the friend is going to just back it up but i get what you're saying being able to have someone who's there to be like hey i know that maybe you didn't study as well this time and you got a bad grade maybe try like studying harder this time or changing up your study habits would help and peter i also really appreciate that you name that for many of us that are going through a degree we're often asked to take classes that require a very different skill set than our majors. 
So your example of biology being a human development and family studies major is a perfect example. And, you know, often in social sciences, and I'll use myself for example, you know, all of a sudden I had to take statistics classes and I was like, wow, you know, I'm actually being asked to do things that I've never had to do before in one semester. And, you know, for me with that stats class, it was like getting a C and working my butt off was like a good thing. You know what I mean? But it wasn't easy for sure. And so, you know, that biology class when we're a human development major or that language class or that, you know, general requirement, you know, that can really tax us, especially if we're taking five anywhere from three to five classes as an undergrad or three to four classes as a graduate student. So I think every student has that experience at some point. Before we wrap up, I have I just have a question. So correct me if I'm wrong, but is the fear of failure a fixed mindset? And I ask this because when I was in grad school, I had an internship at a community college. This was in the state of Washington, and I was advising students and I was doing it with my internship supervisor. Well, the next quarter I had to do it myself and I was terrified I was going to advise a student incorrectly and I was going to prevent that student from graduating. So I delayed, delayed, delayed. Finally, my grad, the director of our program was like, you better do this. And I was like, who's gay? So then I did it and I was, it was going fine. And then sure enough, my biggest fear happened. The student came in, met with another advisor, advisor was like why are you taking this that student said oh well stephanie the advisor i met said this that advisor came to me confirmed with me told me hey actually misadvised and now like you know and my whole like world just fell apart and we went to chat about it and she's like well we fixed it you know we are just having him do an independent course and everything and I was like I'm so sorry he's like she's like we got it fixed and you did the right thing you you went and got it checked by a senior advisor and this happens in my reflection with my grad director and my internship supervisor at the end of that quarter I was like I did it. I did exactly what I was afraid to do. And I lived to tell the tale. And then after that, I was like, well, I know how it feels now. So I'm not too afraid anymore. So I don't know if that's an example or what, but I was just like, all right, like, you know, it's kind of like when you fall off, like climbing, right? The first time you do it, you're like, I did it. Okay. Now, now I know what to expect. Yeah. I just thought I just, that just came to me right now. And I don't know if that's an example, but my, my people are, my guests are nodding. So I'm getting the affirmation it is. <laughs> I was going to say in itself, just <laughs> avoiding something because of failure is a fixed mindset. But I think, I guess going back to like climbing, if you go on the wall and you fall off and you fail and you never try it again, then that would be a fixed mindset. But being able to go on the wall and then fail and then keep trying, I think is a growth mindset. Being able to just understand that fear is keeping you from something. I think if you're putting off doing work or like getting an interview because you're afraid of what they're going to say to you would be fixed mindset. But understanding that you're afraid that they might turn you down from an interview, but being like, hey, well, these are the skills that I have, or here's another job that I most likely get that my friends work at would be a fixed mindset. And Stephanie, the other thing that, you know, sometimes you can look at is folks that are in sports or high performance where they're constantly missing, you know, a point. They're constantly missing a basket. And in sports psychology, one of the biggest things is to get over that performance thing of like, I'm going to fall. I'm not going to do well. Brene Brown also talks about this with um, those of us that are taking on 
you know, big risk, you know, like you were serving students and you had some anxieties around that you were going to negatively impact them. And, um, and part of that is a really good impulse to care for people well and to serve people well and to really notice that. But the flip side is that then that stops us because we're afraid I might do something wrong. And Brene Brown will talk about how we have to be willing to write the first shitty draft, you know, which is, you know, what writers have to do. They have to write really bad things before they get to something good. Or screenwriters have to write really bad things before they get to something good. So um, I just love your example because you also noticed that there was a community of folks around you that were going to support you through that, support the student around that. We are human beings. We are not human perfections. You know what I mean? We're going to make mistakes. Um, and we can recover and repair. And that's the really important thing to remember. Yeah, I'm really glad that you had that experience. I think that I think more people would find that the their supervisors, the people who are there to lead them, would be, I think, more forgiving than they suspect. Mm-hmm. When someone comes to them and says, I messed up. I failed at this. And so um, if we if we just start with the idea that maybe your supervisor, your professor, your coach, um, your sensei, they know you're going to fail. That's why you're that's why they're they're helping you, Um, that maybe even failure is kind of calculated in as a way of growing. If we can just start with that, then we can then start to kind of walk back like with with the walking back the failure avoidance. Right. And all the the ugly behavior that comes from that, that's that's missing out. Number one, if you're going to not do something because you're afraid of failing at it, that that makes me sad because there you're, you're going to miss a lot of really cool opportunities. From my particular lens, I'm worried about the unethical behavior that, that can then happen when a student doesn't want to fail something that they're clearly not prepared to do well on. I tell my students all the time, if you if you're if it's the 11th hour and you have procrastinated or whatever, whatever the reason is, and you do not have a draft, just come talk to me. Let's figure that out. And I encourage them to do it with other their other professors because I, I tell them, look, I can't grade all these things in one night anyway, right? And you might get a response back from someone that says, you know what? It's fine. Let's talk about where you are with it. Let's talk about another schedule for you to get that work in, right? They might actually expect that some students are just not going to have it all together for that particular submission. You might find there's there's a lot of just compassion that can be shown in that in that moment. It also um, this this point made me think about a recent experience I had. I went down to the United States Air Force Academy two weeks ago for their character and leadership symposium, which is primarily for their cadets, but they allow outside visitors to come in. And I was really surprised at how much they talked about failure and learning from failure. And I just want to underline, this was at the Air Force Academy. I think failure has very real consequences in a military Mm -hmm. that it doesn't have for us concretely um, on a daily basis outside in the civilian sector. But one of the things, um, you know, I I heard was like from a from an astronaut, uh, <laughs> Rajashari. Uh, he said, you know, when you fall on your face, you're moving forward, right? And I'm sure he's he's probably paraphrasing from someone, but you know, he was talking about the preparation at NASA for getting ready for missions is just a lot of failure over and over and over, and then finally figuring out the 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 checklist, the mechanism, the the workflow that then leads to a successful mission. I mean, they NASA's like kind of all about failing at first. So you're not doing it in those moments where lives are on the line. And I think that what surprised me about hearing so much about it was 
how little I hear about it in our classrooms here. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, you know, personally on a mission to talk a lot about failure in my classes. Um, you know, I, I want to, I want them to, I want to kind of normalize it so they can go, oh, okay. Like the way I've approached this, it was okay that I messed up because that's when I get to teach them. I mean, it's, it's a really, from a teaching standpoint, it's a very boring thing when a student just does everything perfectly all, all, all <laughs> from the beginning. I just kind of want to f- finish this comment by just saying, you know, perfection's an illusion. Like none of us are going to be perfect. And it was a hard thing for me to accept. And I, I assume that it would probably be a hard thing for anyone listening to accept. Mm-hmm. But that's an illusion that I think just stresses us out. Ultimately, the, let me just say the thing that I've learned to do is to show myself just compassion in those moments where I can see the failure coming. And I'm like, I am trying my best. And the way that you were, you're doing your best. And by the way, I think it's it's safe to, uh, it's probably a, that when you work for a place like an institution, one of the things they look at before someone gets um, litigious is were you doing your job like the way you thought it should be done? Were you actually just trying to do it right? The answer is almost always yes. It's very rare that someone is actually doing the opposite of that. So, you know, maybe that could ramp down some of the pressure. Don't even get me started on perfectionism and all of its roots in our society. And we could, that could be a whole nother segment. And obviously this could also be a, another additional segment. But as we wrap up, I'm wondering if Vivian and Dr. Brown and then even Peter, too, if you wouldn't mind sharing resources specifically in your offices and then, you know, how can students utilize them to help practice growth mindset. Um, For me, I heard, right, community is a huge one. Um, Even having one person, but just having people to, you know, I think even call you out when you're saying something like, I'm just not good at that. And having you rephrase that can be really helpful. So finding your community. But yeah, I would love to hear the resources. I know we have a campaign through our office called Rams Fail Forward that Vivian will talk about. It's been such a joy to have a conversation with you all. So so I could talk a little bit about Ramsfield Forward. And I think this goes back to Dr. Brown's, you know, covering with the research around, you know, there's some limits to the growth mindset research because some of it does depend on the larger environment and community. So Ramsfield Forward is really to address the fact that we don't talk about failure enough at the in the academy, just like you named Dr. Brown. And it's really to normalize that failure is a really big part of our success. We have a pledge as a part of our Ramsfield Forward campaign, as well as a lot of resources available online, including if you're struggling with like, you know, academic failure or experiencing some disappointments in your life in other ways, uh, resources on campus and in the community. But our pledge is also a really big part of that. And that's really to pledge to, as a community, to embrace failure as a part of life and to see it as, you know, moving forward to your goals and appreciating your efforts and accomplishments and trying hard things, even if you might not do well at first. Um, practicing self-care and self-kindness and compassion, and creating open and honest conversations with each other, and accepting support when needed and encouraging others to do the same. So those are some of the aspects of the pledge, but you can see that that's really countercultural in a lot of ways, and we're really trying to reframe how we succeed, and um, how we succeed in part is by failing forward and failing well. 
So the Academic Integrity Program has some resources for students on our website. And I would love for students to go check those out. But I also just want you to know that the way our program is designed, you can just call me. Um, and you can you know just uh, find our, our website on uh, at the Tilt website and just pick up a phone if you have questions about you know academic integrity or how that's translating to your work in the institution. You know we're we're here to support you. You know when it comes to growth mindset um, and the way that this kind of works with academic integrity. Academic integrity is a little bit of a loaded concept. I mean typically when I talk about it, people go oh plagiarism right oh cheating. Well, actually, that's the that's the opposite of what I'm what I'm talking about. I think the the challenge is that we talk about the the negative values too much. Frankly, I I want you to think of the moments that you can adopt some of the positive values that we associate with academic integrity, honesty, like doing work that is authentically yours, really putting you know your your time into an assignment and letting that be your best work, come what may. Right. I mean, I think that's um, kind of the the underlying current of what we've been talking about here. I, I do want to share, it reminded me, um, um, Vivian's comment reminded me of something I heard um, at the symposium that I mentioned from a vice president of Boeing. And he said that he was promoted, I'm just the short version of the story is he was promoted very early. He was a remarkable um, person, um, a Morehouse man. He had the experience of a senior um, supervisor pulled him aside once he was promoted and said, I don't agree with your promotion. I don't think it's right. And um, and he said to the, something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, you have not failed enough yet. And he said, he said, say, say more about that. Instead of, instead of approaching that moment with some, with judgment and anger, which I think I would have felt, he said, say, please say more. And he said, you haven't failed enough yet. You learn so much from doing things the wrong way and then figuring out how you in your own way can do them better that I'm concerned about what happens when you run into that for the first time in your in your new position and he realized it was coming out of a place of love which really frankly just touched me I mean I I was I was really moved by that and he said a phrase that really stuck with me the rest of the weekend he said get your reps in get he's and what he means by reps is failure get them in it's okay. You're going to fail a lot and you're going to learn so much from doing it. And that's that's part of not just growing up, but in the context of of um, that conversation, it was how your character is forged. It's in those moments. We can't expect character to be a thing that you just naturally have. Character comes from those moments where you bring your ideals and you you bring your intelligence and it runs smack into the real world <laughs> and in those moments that we're human. And then what is left is how you develop your character. So to shy away from it is denying yourself an opportunity to be like the better the better version of a human that you're going to be. I agree with that too. I was going to comment on the point of saying like get your reps in and being able to fail. I think one of the little things too that makes it hard to fail is the people around you. I think that a lot of times when you first initially fail, your friends kind of make fun of you and everything. But being able to understand that you might be around the wrong people, I think when I'm around my roommates, we kind of poke fun and make fun of each other. But when we're actually down to doing something important, like um, I guess we were lifting one time and I failed, but he still supported me. So I know that even in the point where he will like make fun of me like seconds before and then I fail and he's like, they're supporting me. I know that he is a real support. So I think being able to find the support systems around you that are willing to be able to be able to allow you to fail and understand that 
like making someone making fun of someone for failing also is not very healthy. And then I was going to comment on, I guess, the teaching side also. One of my <laughs> professors, she has like a due date for us to turn stuff in. And then she has a grace period, which I think is very helpful because she acknowledges she's like, oh, I understand that you guys are students and have other assignments to do. So we have a paper that was due tonight at like midnight but she set the grace period to i think the monday we get back from break and she said that she said that because she knows that people that there are other students that are swamped with mid with midterms and she understands that it's not something we might not be able to get to and i think that's an important thing to being able to understand that with like compassion that there are other things going on with people just because there isn't a grade turned in on the deadline doesn't mean that we aren't trying i think one of the kids in, my, in that class shared that he had four papers that were due this weekend and it, it to say that he wasn't trying because he didn't turn it in on, on time is kind of rude <laughs> because he is a student and he is trying. So I think that being able to have the grace period and time to be able to learn and buckle down, I think will help him or other people produce better product to being able to know that, hey, this person cares about me. So I think that I feel more comfortable putting in my best work. We tossed a lot of links and names, so all of that will be at the end of this episode in our description, so check those out. Uh, Dr. Brown said, call me, so you better call him. Um, the HEPs office is in the health network. Come visit us. We can get you um, on the third floor connected with Ramspell Ford if you want to bring some materials to whatever, but clearly... We have uh, stickers. Yeah, we have stickers um, and lots of other um, cool things, and... I mean, failure is okay. It makes us human. And yeah, that's the message here. We obviously could keep talking forever and um, maybe we'll have a ramp, you know, failure conversation part two. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate you all uh, checking this out. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day and be kind to yourselves. Bye. Mm -hmm.